today on the Loki Podcast, Aaron, Tim, and I talk about Spike Lee's film, Do the Right Thing, which came out 30 or so years ago, and we're pretty much talking about the relevance that the film has today. Um, so please, please listen to it to the very end. I think we get into some real good stuff this episode. And if you guys like rocking with us, please feel free to follow us on Instagram and Facebook at the Low Key Pod. And hope you guys enjoy. So I, I mean, I think. Well, ah, uh, you start. Go ahead. Well, look, look. Here's the thing. We can even keep that that awkward party in. And I don't know what you guys want to talk about first. First thing I want to bring up. Um, where did Sweet Dick Willie get his name from? <laughs> He was known throughout the neighborhood for his, I'm not falling for this. No way. <laughs> his prowess. <laughs> it's a I mystery feel, I want solved. I feel like that was just a name that he gave himself because you never saw any woman step up to say why he was called Sweet Dick Willie. It's just something he said amongst the guys. That's true. That's true. I don't know. Because people do funny. shit like that, too. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah, 100%. This does happen quite a bit. So that's one mystery solved. We do think he probably just gave himself his name. He kind of says so himself, <laughs> but, you know, I don't know. All right, so we got the first thing checked off. Um, but, yeah, this film is uh, something else and definitely a snapshot of its time. I really uh, was surprised to rewatch it and see climate change come up, <laughs> you know, yeah, it's, it's like we're reliving the past. It's really interesting. All these conversations, even a lot of the language is very similar. Yeah, I almost didn't. I forget who recommended we watch this movie. I don't remember if it was Aaron or Keith. And I almost thought like, oh, this is a freebie. I don't have to watch this movie again. I know this movie so well. I'm going to not even bother because this was one of the movies that was one of the first good movies I ever saw when I was a kid. I was 14 when it came out. I I was just barely old enough to understand how important it was. Everybody was like, you have to see this. And I thought, like, I remember every scene in this movie. I know this thing inside out, and I didn't remember it at all. Like, I watched it again, and it was like watching a brand new movie. And it was so fresh. And everything that I thought I didn't like about, about it, I did like. Um, it was just, it's a fantastic movie. It, it, it feels so alive and so vibrant and so sadly and impressively relevant right now. Right. Um, I was the first one to suggest it because what happened, I saw, I've been doing this on um, masterclass on um, Spike Lee has this masterclass online. And so um, he started talking about a few of his films and well, a couple of his films. I never, I've never seen one was on um, Mo Better Blues school days and, and do the right thing. So I was talking to my mother about it, and I was asking her which one she think I should watch first. And she got to talking about school days because she personally liked school days because at the time she was in college. Mm-hmm. But she um, strongly suggested I watch Do the Right Thing because just to add to what Tim said, she felt like it was very relevant to today. And and I strongly agree. It's almost as if, like, because when I talked to her about it, it almost as if a filmmaker today made a movie that took place in the nineties. Mm-hmm. You know, well, and, and to that point too, um, watching it, just thinking about, you know, literally the title of the film, does that happen in this movie? What the right thing? 
Yeah, it does because specifically the mayor says to Mookie, you know, make sure you always do the right thing. Does Mookie do the right thing? And the in the the only time Mookie really takes a he's a very passive character in this film, in a lot of ways, which is very strange. I, I think some you know if we have time to jump into uh, his, his character, we should definitely do that. But do you guys feel like the you know I, I would say the the moment that that would speak to that in this film is when he throws a trash can into the pizzeria. Um, obviously, we are spoiling the hell out the film. Definitely watch it. It's old. It's three decades old. Y'all, y'all should have watched it at, the, at this point. Um, but do you guys feel like that was the right thing? It's funny. Before we watched this, we also watched a 15-minute movie video. That the, the title of the video is like, does Mookie do the right thing and do the right thing? And that 15-minute video never really answers that question. But one of the points that it makes, there's two interesting things. One is that Spike Lee says um, no, no black person has ever asked him why Mookie throws the trash can through the window. And the other thing he says is, and I had this thought myself, maybe Mookie is trying to sort of deflect and save Sal from getting beat up um, when everything is about to go down. Maybe he throws, throws the trash can through the window to kind of de-escalate the situation in a way. And Spike Lee's like, that's absolutely not the case. That's not why he does it. I also I thought it was interesting that she said passive because one of the complaints about that video in the comments section is that they say he's not a passive character. And the more I think about it, I don't think he's a passive character either. I think he I think him and Sal to some extent are both kind of trying to keep the peace with everybody around them. Um, mm-hmm. But Mookie is rightly furious all the time. I mean, at the situation around him. Let me let me let me defend that characterization of passive. Yeah. So let's forget the pizzeria for a second. In other aspects of Mookie's life, Mookie is floating in the wind. You know, whether you look at his fatherhood, um, his current situation, um, as far as his, his living uh, circumstances with his sister. Uh, one thing that's really, and I don't want to, I think we should jump back to this, I think because I, I think it's very important, actually. There aren't parental figures really present in this film, really. There's one of the parents' generation, but almost everybody else we see that's an adult is of the older generation, outside of Sal himself. That's something to come back to, I think, but um, Mookie really himself, for example, is like a, just a completely missing father. When he shows up, to see the mother is strictly uh in in this case that is um uh, Rosie Perez he's just there to to get some and then get out um and we never see a moment of him actually really engaging with his son i think that's a very important thing though like this character is like it's weird this film has a whole lot to say about identity and how people view identity but it also without passing judgment on it shows a lot of dismissiveness as far as personal responsibility. So even like the mayor, there's that moment where he mentions, you know, you're calling me a drunk, you're calling me this, you're calling me that, but you don't know anything about, you know, having five kids that you can't support and the wife is upset. And then the the young man who's speaking to him is like, well, I would, you know, find a way to get a job and do this and do that. Now the film doesn't get, now the thing is if you're watching it, a lot of people, like the film has a lot of references to black culture and black history and art. So 
there's a lot of for example, Gil Scott Heron has a song called Pieces of a Man, and that's what that song's about in a lot of ways, for example, right? And so if you know some of that art, you know what the illusions are, but this young man ain't thinking about that. And the film, if you know it, allows you to grapple with that. And if you don't know it, you'll miss that and, and it'll kind of go past. But I do think if we really look at Sal and his circumstances, he he is a very passive person and he does not take the responsibility of having that job seriously. And Sal tries to, in, in his own way, um, show a sort of appreciation for Mookie. But Mookie is a young kid who doesn't give a damn. And, and, and it, we're told he doesn't really hold the job down well at all, and partially because he just doesn't take responsibility and really try to go after it and do something better for himself. He just sees what's in front of him. He's just going to do that. I, and it seems like most people on that block are that way. I have a thought on that, but Keith, what do you think of Mookie? I, I think I think I could see why people say that he's a passive character. Um, I don't I don't think he's he's passive in a way to where like um you know how some characters that they're, they're just there in a sense. It's like he plays a big part in in a way like moving uh the story forward and like like what you said, like he's kind of like like how we have both him and Sal trying to in a way throughout the movie try to keep the peace with people as much as possible until everything just kind of blows up. Um, so in that regards, I don't necessarily think of him as a completely passive character or whatever. And, um, and as far as like, I think what we were talking about a moment ago about did, um, did he do the right thing? And I, and in that video we was watching and where, where they were interviewing Spike Lee, one thing that he did say was that the police definitely didn't do the right thing. Right. Right. Um, they straight up murdered Radio Raheem in the end. Mm-hmm. And and most of, I mean, I wasn't old enough at that time to know like what the conversation was about the movie. But from what it seems like, a lot of the conversation was more about what Mookie did and not so much what the police did. Mm-hmm. And I think and I think that's interesting, especially today when we get into these conversations over um, um, people, you know, we, we all saying Black Lives Matter and everybody countering with All Lives Matter or Blue Lives Matter or Pink Lives Matter and all of this. And and it's such a disregard to um, the lives of, of African-Americans in this country. And, and that's even seen right then and there. And I think, I think another big point to bring up is he was he was angry. Like his friend was just murdered, like in front of him. So it's not a, uh, what's right and what's wrong in that particular situation. Like you, you respond like a person that's upset. Well, but, like, but I, I think if, you know, I, I don't know if anybody does the right thing when that moment happens, you no, know, nobody, I mean? nobody completely like. does the right thing because for another thing that I want to bring up too, when we're talking about that is that, Another thing that I think was completely wrong was his son's calling the um, cops. Yep. Because I feel like they've been in that neighborhood long enough to know that if you call the police, that that's going to escalate to a whole nother thing if you call police on a black man. The only other character in the movie besides the cops who I think just straight up sucks is Pino. 
Like Sal yeah. is somewhat relatable. Sal sort of tries. Sal has definitely some racist tendencies, but he also has a lot of affection for Mookie and his sister. And he's a complicated, conflicted character. Pino is just like the personification of white privilege in that you never see him work in the entire movie. He's always trying to get other people to do his work for him. And then he's mm-hmm. always talking about how hard he works. And Pino doesn't do shit. John Turturro is really good in that role because he doesn't try to make Pino likable. Oh, <laughs> no, he doesn't. <laughs> like, he Pino, does. Pino, Pino sucks. Pino says the N-word in front of Mookie. Pino beats up on his little brother. Pino sucks. And... Yeah, I think <laughs> I don't know. I just want to say Pino sucks. I don't think I have a, a point except to <laughs> well, well, but, I, <laughs> but clearly I think he does movie, not speak for me. <laughs> but I think the movie works because of his his the way he plays that character. Yeah, like you know, and 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 because I I think Sal, it's weird because you know you can be racist without being hateful necessarily. But at the same time, he is he does have an affection for the people in the neighborhood, but he he does have like w- once he feels like you going past a certain point of disrespect, like there's a certain kind of like anger that comes out of him that feels very hateful. Yeah, you I think I, mean? I think Sal is paternalistic, like by the definition of paternalistic, where he tells Mookie, mm-hmm. you're like a son to me, but he also expects a certain amount of respect. And if he doesn't get what he thinks he's owed. He way overcompensates. He's like, well, I, I mean, was... even about Radio Raheem at the end, for example. Yeah, where that goes. Yeah. Well, the other thing is, I was watching it, of course, trying to think if I was Sal, if I was Pino, if I was Vito, how would I behave? And if Sal had put some pictures, I mean, the whole start of it is bugging out Giancarlo Esposito saying, "Put some brothers on the wall," and Sal won't do it. Sal could have just said yes. Sal could have had some brothers on the wall from the beginning. He's in an all-black neighborhood with his like Italian-owned pizzeria. He could have just had a small amount of respect, and it would have prevented everything else that happens in the movie. Yeah, but you know, because I'm not saying it's like it isn't a yeah, but I don't agree. But it's it's interesting that Bugging Out found that as a to be such an affront that it was worth boycotting. Well, Bugging yeah. Out kind of sucks, too. He's kind of an instigator, yeah, he too. Does. Yeah, he, he's just a <laughs> confrontational character. You know what yeah. I mean? Because you remember he he went he went off on that one white guy for buying a brownstone in the neighborhood. <laughs> and mm. and it's just like, he he is definitely that character that, that we see early on that's trying to find something to blow up about. And and honestly, like, I, I talked to my mother about this, too, about Sal and the um the pictures on the wall. And I was thinking to myself, I don't know if 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 I was Sal, would I have like like for example, if I own a black restaurant and it's in a white neighborhood and white people come in the neighborhood and somebody tell me that I should be putting white people on my wall, <laughs> I think I won't put them on my wall. Like, but that's what I'm for, saying. It, it, it even it's, for the it's fact a, that you told me to do it. That's the it, it, it's a it's a. It, one, it's not even that big a deal. But the second part of that is, this is my business. Yeah, you know, telling me what to do in, in my business. Like, and he dude. told him. He said, he said, if you get you get you a piece of real, you put all the brothers on the wall you want to. And I mm-hmm. also kind of, I say like, I can respect that. Um, what is it like that Italian pride that he had? 
Mm-hmm. It wasn't like with um with his son where he was just completely like a bigot and a racist. He just had pride in his people. You know, I can't knock mm-hmm. nobody for that. Um, as, as long as it's not in a way that you discriminate amongst other people. Now he did, like you said, he did blow up towards the end with Radio Raheem. And um, yeah, I mean that calling the jungle music and then calling them the N word. I mean, like. There were things that came out at that moment that were like, you know, like, oh, he's who we thought he was. But, you know, it's like at the same time, you know, he he's being massively disrespected. That does not excuse what he ended up doing. But it, it is interesting seeing because Spike Lee purposely chooses these angles with certain characters at certain times, but often right. with Radio Raheem, you're right in his face, and they, and I don't know what kind of camera he's using, but, like, they do things to provide angles and, and, and things that just make him seem like a really intimidating character, and they're, like, right in his face. Like, when he's right. asking for that pizza, mm-hmm. like, or, or even, like, when he's asking for the batteries, like, they go out of their way to show that, like, this ain't somebody who goes around playing nice with folks just for the heck of it. Like, he he's just... You know, they're playing his music. People know who that is. And when he's speaking to you, he's just going to be like, to some folks, just straight up disrespectful, right? And like, oh, we well, don't know English. You don't know that, blah, blah, blah. Like, they don't run from, as it, creatives in this film, the nasty ways people speak to each other, you know? Yeah. Anybody. That's one thing I love about this movie. I, I remembered it being as like a good guy, bad guy movie, and it's really not. Like everybody in this movie could have could have acted a different way, could have acted a better way, could have acted a worse way in some situations. Everybody's just very human. It it really feels like everybody has the propensity to be good or bad, and we're all good and bad all day long. I mean, oh, I was gonna um, to add to that to go back to what Aaron was talking about about the shots. I'm glad you brought that up because I almost forgot about it. That um that you write, Spike did say he did that purposely to make um of course to make Radio Raheem look more intimidating, but also mm-hmm. to make him look taller than he really was. Okay. That he said the guy was probably like I think like five nine or something like that. Okay. But he made him seem like he was like six six three or something, right? Yep. And he was saying how you know he did that purposely, but then I remember when I watched it. Um, the, the scene where the cops kill Radio Raheem, it's something about how that is shot that made him feel small. Well, also, when they when when he's getting choked out and his feet come off the ground, and right. it makes it even it seem like, like a lynching. Exactly. Yeah. It's so horrific to see, like, and it's and it's crazy because it's it's weird. You I can watch something like that, and it just it just hits me. In a way that, like, I can watch a violent film. You can see somebody get their head cut off or whatever. Complete carnage. But when you see something like that that's just so real and just so... Um, it, hit, it hits home in a certain type of way, right? Like, yep. even when we look at the things that happened, that happened just recently, especially with um, George Floyd, I remember I, I watched that video, and there's a part... It, it almost seemed unreal. Yeah. It seemed unreal that somebody... That people would enact, enact that type of savagery towards another human being, the and thing, the thing is, like, we know that it happens, but it's a whole different thing when you see it in action. Yeah, one of the most heartbreaking things to do the right thing is where the other cop is saying, "Let up! Like, you gotta, you gotta put him down now. Like, that's enough." 
And with George Floyd, you see multiple people come up to that cop and say, "What are you doing? What like he's not moving? You got to get your you got to get your knee off of him." Like multiple civilians come up and say that. Yeah, there are no cops saying that, cops which makes it even more crazy than yeah. the the you know version was saying and do the right thing. Yeah, it's crazy that there's a movie where it's so obviously wrong thirty years ago, and then something happens where the circumstances are even more one-sidedly horrible exactly well you know it one thing and and again is when you're thinking about this that idea of do the right thing in that moment where with radio raheem and and, and sal and, and all those guys when the cops do show up he is choking sal out you know like he could die um a certain amount of force does make sense, but they had gone way beyond having, you know, um, gotten him in the situation where they could have put him in cuffs and that been that. Um, that's what makes it a little weirder about George Floyd is there wasn't even like a violent, they were being called about a counterfeit bill and, and, you know, took it to this level. Um, that was over $20 versus $20 with them holding the guy down for nine minutes versus do the right thing where, you know, radio him is actually committing an assault when the cops arrive and overreact like he is. Yep. But people thought at the time, like that was unrealistic in some way, <laughs> like that the cops wouldn't really do that. That would never happen. So one-sidedly. And then you see after all these years of supposed progress, after 30 years, the cops do something even more nakedly wrong. It's just, it's, it really is painful. I don't. I don't have another word. It's just. It's. So I haven't watched "Do the Right Thing" since I was a child. Until you know, we chose to look at this again. I say child, like I mean, I was like nine or ten or something. Like, um, and I've lived like you know two decades since then plus. And you know, one thing I do remember is a lot of people saying, "Oh, how you know, like you guys saying, kind of unrealistic over the top." that moment is and that wouldn't happen and so on and so forth. Um, and that, you know, um, is supposed to be based off something that actually, uh, took place as far as like the, the way that radio Raheem was killed. Um, Spike Lee had mentioned there, there was an artist and I believe it was 1983, uh, whose name's escaping me at the moment. Um, but that he was an artist who, who had been attacked by a group of cops and, and choked out, uh, well, that way. I guess I'm thinking specifically of white people at the time who thought the movie was an attack on them, like who thought that do the right thing was somehow like a criticism of well, that's white what people I mean. and were defensive about it. it. Yeah, yeah, I remember hearing that. Yeah, and, and but you know, again, I was too young to totally understand like a larger conversation. But I, I can. The thing is, you know, it's similar to what we'll end up talking about um, in a future episode um, for a different film. I can understand how weird it must be to be white, not really get that these things are happening, and then see a story like this and go, well, why the hell are they telling these stories like this? This stuff doesn't happen. Like these these are like fantasies about how terrible it is for, you know, people to be treated this way. I don't hear or see these things occur. You know? Like yeah. that these are these are insane, like made up things that make us look and feel bad. Yeah, I mean, as a white person, especially in the 80s and the 90s, 
it's completely possible to go through your life without acknowledging any experience outside of your own. And if you're black because you're in the minority, because you're like 15% of the population compared to, you know, whatever white people are, 70% at the time or something, um, you can't do that. You've always got to be aware of black culture and white culture at the same time. Like you can't, I don't know, maybe if you're like in the Black Panthers in Oakland in the 60s, you can ignore the existence of white culture, but I don't think even then. I think white culture is so everywhere. Um, you're just always going to be kind of torn between two worlds. Right. Um, so do y'all, do y'all think that the, um, that the mindset of a lot of white people have like changed just recently because of what just recently happened with George Floyd? Um, like, like, just like what we saying. Yeah, Tim, can, can you sp- please speak for all white people? <laughs> I mean, because I, the, reason why, the reason why I'm asking you this because it's almost... So, I've been having this thing where I've been feeling like everything feels like a weird, like, dream or alternate universe. Like, first we have, like, a pandemic that looks seems like some off Resident Evil. Yeah. And then white people are just acting different. I don't know how to explain. And we, okay, just, well, hold on. When you say acting different, are you talking about as in, um, I guess... It is a result of what's happened with George George Floyd that there's yeah, like you know you know like if 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 a family like if your I never had a parent pass away but I'm assuming if my parent passed away people would be like coming around me like oh I'm so sorry you know type of thing and it's just it, it feels a little bit like that and I'm wondering what shift like black people been getting killed for years by police officers. Mm-hmm. Like, is it is it that they thought we was crying wolf this whole time? And then and then now you I see Black Lives Matter everywhere now. Hashtag Black Lives Matter everywhere. Even Amazon, no matter what you where you go, you see. I got to say, when the NFL put out a statement, I said, oh, shit. Yeah. That's although what I'm saying. Like, what, although what that, that was to protect Drew Brees because he messed up. They, they, you're talking about how that you know anybody kneeling for the flag, no national anthem, is disrespect to the flag. And I'll never... Dude. I forget. I'm not saying it verbatim, but basically, say he he would never like agree with somebody who did that. And it was I think it was that word "never" that threw people off because they were like, "There's no room to for dialogue when you say I'll never, you know, have room to have that discussion with people or agree with them on how they view this issue." You know. I, I wish I remember who said it, but they were like, "Well, you're mad about the demonstrations now, but a few months ago or a few years ago when we were peacefully protesting by kneeling during the national anthem, you didn't like that either. So that really felt like a, you could have put some pictures on the wall situation way back when and avoided getting a window through your pizza parlor. Like you could have just had some common decency (laughs) three years ago um, or, you know, 400 years ago. But for, for, Again, nobody wants me to like speak for all white people, but I think <laughs> I, I think it kind of went from, and I'm only going to speak for like well-meaning white people to the extent that I can even do that. I think it went from like it's sort of embarrassing to have like a Black Lives Matter sign, not because you don't believe that, but because it looks like you're maybe like being performative. Okay, like you don't want to be the white person who's like, look at me, I'm a good white person, because that seems like, do you want a reward? Like, what do you expect? And I think it sort of shifted in the last few weeks to like, you really better stake out your territory here. Like just, just make clear what side you're on. If for no other reason than to let people know they don't have to worry about you. Like if you're, if you're counting your, go ahead. 
Well, no, I was just going to mention our, you know, there was a conversation we had on on the pod a while back where you had mentioned, you know, in, it's like in in a similar way, but I, you know, obviously hashtags and honestly, like, I mean, there are ways to kind of signal where you are, um, but you know how you could have conversations and find ways to be like, look, I'm, I'm one of the people who who's cool, right? I'm not not one of my assholes, so you know, yeah, I'm cool with you. Like, ain't no beef. You black, I'm white. Boom, like not nothing here. No beef. We, you know, I'm, I'm play straight and narrow. And, and you might still be an asshole. And you might still have all kinds of biases, and I probably do, and everybody probably does. But you're right. trying. You're making an effort. Exactly. Yeah. And but you know, I think. Keith, you would point this out to me. I haven't watched the George Floyd video because prior to that, I had just watched the Ahmaud Arbery and the Sean Reed video. And the Sean Reed video was crazy. I, y'all ain't seen that. I, I'm not saying watch it, but at least kind of see what happened with that situation. Um, I decided to bow out on the George Floyd thing because honestly, when it happened, I, I you know kind of read some stories like, okay, well, I don't need to watch that. It's going to be the same old thing. And Nothing's going to change, whatever. And, and see, I think that was the other thing. We had some massive things happen right before that. We had the Breonna Taylor thing happen, the Ahmaud Aubrey situation, the Sean Reed situation. There were a couple other people uh, that didn't reach a huge fever pitch. But, I, you know, I think the George Floyd thing and kind of that visceral thing of watching him uh, plead for his life for that long, call out to his mother who had just recently passed away, um, all those things I think really – um, it, it stuck with people in a way that it might not have if it had happened even a little sooner, you know. Yeah. And and then like on a on a different type of level, it kind of made me feel a way. I don't know how to say this, but you know, George Floyd wasn't a little guy, you know. Mm-hmm. Pretty, you know, what he was like six two, six three, two hundred like pounds. It. And it's just. It, it go back to like what we see with Radio Raheem being killed by the cops. It's like even the the strong amongst us aren't safe. They, they, they keep making this point in the film, um, do the right thing, that we ain't safe in our own neighborhood. You know, right. um, there's also several conversations they don't go deep into like the wires of the red line and anything with it but just you know these people who are not black come into black neighborhoods and they create businesses um and it's like well why are black people doing that now the film doesn't dive deep into that but you know a lot of people who have seen a lot of those conversations around the black art and literature you know have a i would say you know, maybe not a common understanding, but they know kind of what those arguments are about, you know, why that does or does not happen. And um, there is something to say about feeling like you are safe and you are wanted and, and there's no need to fear just, you know, walking about your community or even that some sort of small dispute about pictures on the wall will lead to you dying. But there's just so much anger and so much, you know, um, just everybody's antagonizing each other. And it's hot as hell. <laughs> like, they keep yeah. bringing up how hot it is. And, you know, that, you know, we do know it's pretty consistent. Like when it gets hot in the summers in these in American cities, like stuff's all popping off. And it's just how it go. Right. Can I ask a question? I, I sort of thought about this while watching the watching that video about whether Mookie was right or wrong. Mm-hmm. I, feel, I feel like Mookie had everybody talks about how Mookie is slacking on his job, but I feel like Mookie has maybe the exact amount, exact right amount of investment in his job. 
because he's getting paid 250 bucks a week, which is about $12,000 a year, which is well below, you know, middle class in 1989 in New York. And he has a kid and he has a girlfriend. Um, so he's not that invested in the job. He's kind of just like surviving. He's just sort of getting by. And by throwing the trash can through the window, he's destroying any chance of going back to that job. And he's going to have to figure something else out. But that's kind of a good thing for him personally, because that job isn't doing anything for him. Well, he doesn't give a damn about that job. I, I and he do shouldn't. think. But he's, no, now, but he's now eliminated his backup plan of working this, like, okay job where he's never going to have. He's never going to inherit the place like Pino is. So now yes. he's forced himself in the situation of he's going to have to do something for himself, which is good. But I, I do wonder, and this is why I wanted to bring this point back up. It's it's done on purpose, and I'm not sure exactly what it means, but like just the lack of parents that we see around. There's that one mother who, um, you know, reprimands a child for jumping out in front of the street when the mayor saves them. Beyond that, like we really don't see any for the most part, like of the generation above, like the the, you know the normal group, like in Mookie's generation, like the people right above that, we don't see much of them. We see people above that generation, right? But I, it, it, th- their absence is is just so, it's just felt. It's omnipresent. It's ne- like them not being present is like just this thing that's just an overcast over the entire film the whole time. Um, Do I, that- I don't know. It's, it's really interesting to me. Do you think that's allegorical? Because I kind of feel like people are only in the movie for people are only in the movie if they serve a dramatic purpose, right? And yeah. Mookie's parents, wherever they are, aren't there to help him financially. They're not there to give him a business that he's going to inherit. But yeah, but but do you see what I mean? Though? Yeah, I do. But like I mean, the, 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 them being missing is is allegorical in itself. Yeah, I mean the Korean family—they have a little kid with them all the time. Mm-hmm. And Sal has a little kid with them all the time. Like they are going to pass on wealth. Yep. That's what I mean. It's it's you know. It's kind of unclear who owns the buildings on their block. Um, but you you can see that there's a a change occurring, and we're in the midst of it, wherever it's going. Right. Um. In Bedstuy, by the time I lived there. Um, in the early 2010s, was definitely undergoing that thing, uh, that that whole gentrification uh, period that Spike Lee had been so, you know, um, kind of reticent about, um, and had a few blowups about publicly um, in different forms in that period. So um, I don't know. It's it's. I haven't thought enough through to say something um, really, uh, you know, thought-provoking here. But they're them being missing. Like you said, everybody who's there has a purpose, and we really do get to see a vision of their block in a neighborhood. And it's a real snapshot of what their period was like. Uh, but their absence is just so felt, and at the same time, that's true today too, in a lot of ways. For neighborhoods like that one. So, I don't know. Uh, any closing thoughts uh, before we wrap things up on Do the Right Thing? Um, 
don't know. I think I think it's a shame that we still dealing with the same thing like over twenty some years later. Um I think um I've I've had this conversation where I feel that I mean I don't have the answers. I really don't think anyone has the answers. I really don't think um just like in the film, no one really does the right thing. And I think it's something that we have to evolve out of, like as a as a human species, you know. We have to evolve outside of racism. Like everyone that everyone like that's been here before us, they literally have to pass they have to pass away. And we gotta teach our children better and let hopefully the next generation and generation after that are more empathetic and sympathetic and loving towards one another. Cause this shit right here ain't working. Oh, I just say this, man. Say your energy, all that angry energy that that bugging out and Radio Raheem and all them were were using. Say that for the people who actually doing the stuff. Don't be doing that to people in your neighborhood. It's not even like who who's creating that situation, you know? Like I think that was the thing that actually was most interesting. Like all those conversations they were having about the circumstances of the neighborhood. At the end of the day, it's not the people who are Asian on the corner who who put up a store that got things screwed up. It's not the people who are not black who got a pizzeria somewhere. That, you know, a local business out there. It, it it's other circumstances and situations that have the cops feeling like they can do things without, you know, fear of punishment. Not, I mean, there's so many things that go down with that. Another thing, that plenty of good cops. And even the cops, when we first see them, when those kids are doing something, you know, with the water hose and, you know, they mess up dude's car, they weren't going right after those kids immediately. You know what I mean? Like, it's it's a little more complicated than just simply saying, like, these people don't look like us and, and you know, they ought to get every single person. You know, in this this film really complicates that for people in a way that I think, you know, allows it to really, um, you know, have some conversations that, you know, people hadn't been ready for. Maybe they are today. And that, that would be interesting to see if, you know, as, as it's discussed and studied more, we're able to, to you know, do better and, and see it in, in a more, in the more complicated light is what it is. Yeah, I'm I'm just glad this movie was here to give us something to talk about and something to think about because it's it's such a I don't know. There's so much conversation now about like what should white people be watching to improve themselves. Um like take like so much talk about like take this opportunity to learn and to fill in your blind spots and I was this movie came into my life when I was 14 and did sort of provide a blueprint of things to learn about at a time when I was susceptible to learn about certain things. And it introduced me to public enemy, which became my favorite group for a really long time. And it introduced me to who Malcolm X was and things like that. And I think it's a good gateway for white people, to be honest. Um, if, if somehow you haven't thought about any of these issues before, it's a good place to start. Agreed. Yep. I think we can close there. Uh, hey guys, thanks for joining us on another uh, journey through the pie. Uh, as always, please, please, please rate and review. Follow us uh, at the Low Key Pie on uh, different social media platforms available to you. Um, recommend us to a friend, and uh, catch us on the next one, which we're gonna record right now.
<laughs> Too ready for your ears, baby. All right, see y'all soon.